Um, you've probably heard me speak on this passage two or three times before. It's one of my favorites, um, and it seemed um, uh, fresh and relevant again this morning. It's one of my favorites, actually, because um, we know more about this Sudanese, this Ethiopian eunuch than we might suppose. And archaeology back in the 1920s revealed for us that uh, Kandesi or Kandaki, uh, mentioned in this story, was the queen mother in ancient Meroe, which is a kingdom in northern Sudan. And uh, so the overwhelming likelihood is that he was from northern Sudan and uh, treasurer in the uh, Queen Mother's household there. So uh, Sudanese Christians have always taken this as um, their foundation story, and, uh, and uh, it's based on some, some good evidence. So I, I love this story, and as we are reflecting as a church on um, the possibilities of being uh, evangelists ourselves in the year ahead as we think about the uh, possibility of um, uh, praying and conversing with someone about our faith over the year to come uh, it seems very helpful and relevant Christianity is a, is a missionary faith we're not in any doubt about that that's very clear to us I think we would all own that, own that truth uh, that it is a faith that uh, at its heart, its DNA, is to share, to bring others into, into the uh, journey of faith as well, to bring other people to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we send mission partners locally and around the world, and we spend a significant part of our church budget on that enterprise. And I don't think any of us here as uh, members of St. Saviour's are in any doubt that we're called to play our part in that in some way. We know, as people say, that God has no grandchildren and that in each generation people have by faith to become sons and daughters of the living God for themselves. Yet, as an introvert myself and as a bit of a doubting Thomas myself, and as someone who finds uh, breaking the ice to meet other people um, more difficult than might appear to you, um, I have never found this easy. I have struggled with this, and I, growing up in my teenage years and in my 20s at university and afterwards, I struggled with the uh, emphasis that was given and the encouragement that was given to be active in sharing our faith, sharing my faith. And uh, there are a number of things behind that, I think, and I suspect uh, you may also share some of these. Part of it was my own introversion, my own shyness, my own uh, difficulty in making new friendships and new relationships. Um, I think also, and I found this difficult to acknowledge, um, I f felt that many of the ways that I was given to do this were simplistic and naive and didn't really reflect me and didn't reflect my journey as a, as a Christian. 
How many of you remember the four spiritual laws? Yeah, so good number of hands going up around the room there. Um, it can still be tracked down on the internet. Um, the four spiritual laws, doubtless, was for some people a very helpful tool, and I don't doubt that many people came to faith as a result of, of them. But I found that uh, just unusable. I found it didn't reflect my uh, my faith, and it didn't. And I found it an impossible tool to use. Perhaps more useful was the bridge diagram. How many people remember the bridge diagram? Uh, more hands going up now. Um, how many people remember evangelism explosion? Ah, another selection of people there. Um, all of them really giving a, a system, a program, uh, a, a template by which the gospel, gospel can be shared. And if I'm candid, I have always found that difficult, difficult to use and difficult to connect it with my own journey of faith. Um, I'm beginning to sound like a, a real sourpuss here, aren't I, really? Um, and then there was friendship evangelism. Do you remember friendship evangelism? Some more hands, perhaps, friendship evangelism. I always struggled with the thought that one might make friends in order to share the faith, your faith with them. Seem to be something calculating about that. I'm sure it doesn't need to be. I'm sure it can be genuine. But again, it was just one of those things that I just could not get inside it. Um, and uh, being uh, a doubting Thomas all down the line, I also found Billy Graham crusades difficult. But many, many people um, found them very helpful, and many, many people came to faith. And in fact, the whole uh, evangelical tradition in the Anglican Church today owes really its strength and vibrancy to the Billy Graham Crusades of the 50s. Now, I don't know whether any of that connects with you. Uh, I suspect it does with some of us, at least. Um, I have a deep-seated doubt about prepackaged approaches that aren't real to my experience, uh, and I suspect the experience of those I might share it with. Somehow I knew that the Christian faith was more complex but also richer and more rewarding than these tools um, suggested to me. And some of them seem to have a serious cringe factor. I think you know what I, what I mean by that. I have made some progress. You might be relieved to hear that. Um, David Cratt looks relieved by that uh, observation. I have made some progress. Um, I think a real turning point for me was um, joining CMS, the Church Mission Society, in my late 20s. Now, I'm not suggesting that in order to get your ducks in a row on this that you have to join CMS, although I would love to see a good spread of people around the church um, interested in such an enterprise. Um, but it helped me in this way, in that CMS is an undoubtedly evangelistic, gospel-sharing organization right through to its heart. But it does so in, the context, in a wider context. It does so in the context of an understanding of Christian mission, and that mission is uh, a larger enterprise of which uh, evangelism and faith-sharing is, is the core. And it was through CMS that I learnt about a particular Anglican 
formulation called the five marks of mission, which talk about God's wider, God's whole purpose for his creation and for his world, at the heart of which is the the sharing of faith and the proclaiming of the gospel. And uh, we've used the five marks of mission at St. Saviour's as a template for our engagement in mission here, uh, at least in the mission group. And those five marks of mission, just for clarity, are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So the very first one is about faith sharing and sharing the gospel with people. And the second one is, is baptizing and discipling new believers So it's about grounding people in in the Christian community. The third one is about serving the world in compassion and mercy. And the fourth one is about seeking justice. And the fifth one is about care for creation and care for the world. And I found that really liberating. Uh, I felt that um, myself and others around me, we were involved in this larger enterprise of of engaging God's mission into the world. And at the heart of that, there was, of course, the business of articulating it, of giving it words, of clothing it in words, of commending it. And CMS always talks about evangelistic mission. Mission is always about, in some way, communicating uh, the gospel of, of, of Jesus. And that made a lot of a lot of sense to me, and I suppose that's the way in which I, I personally found a, a liberation in this regard and a freedom in that context uh, to speak about Christian faith because I felt that I had all kinds of new ways in which to talk about what faith in Jesus meant, where it came from, and where it led. Um, so that's just a little bit of personal testimony there, I and mean, just the sort of the second half of what I want to share with you this morning is a, is a reflection on this story that we, we read from, from Acts about the Sudanese eunuch because I, I think this can also be helpful and I think it can be uh, liberating and releasing for us. Uh, at first sight, we might feel a little intimidated by, by this story um, in that the central figure is someone known usually as Philip the Evangelist. So we, we think we have here a real specialist. We have someone here who's, um, you know, really, really knows what it's, what it's about, whereas you and I probably feel we don't really know what it's about in that sort of secure, specialist way. But I think the, the story is about something other than that, really. It is about the presence of God's grace in the heart of human stories, in the heart of uh, our story and the story of those around us. And it's around that, that insight that I want to just reflect for, for a few minutes. This story has many, many uh, aspects and things to teach us. I want to just focus on, on this for the moment, for this morning. First of all, the Sudanese in this Bible text has a story himself. Do you remember the video from last week, which uh, uh, I don't want to uh, diminish Mike's sermon, but to me it was the most striking thing about last week was that uh, video from the coffee shop, which just suggested it was encouraging their, uh, their waiters and waitresses to be aware of their customers, and it just suggested the life stories and the backgrounds of, of the people who were coming into the, into the coffee shop. Very powerful, I thought. There's a very profound truth in that, 
because it reminds us that in fact that is true in our daily lives all the time and most of us, and I speak for myself here, go around uh, blind to it, uh, not in the sense that we don't know, how could we know, but not even reflecting on the possibility that the people we are meeting in a host of contexts actually have uh, profound, complex, rich, exciting or discouraging lives. They have a story to tell. Even our family members have stories often uh, that they could tell which, which they have never shared with us. And there is a sense in which nobody knows your story or my story in the way that I might perhaps share it or tell it. Philip did not know the story of the Sudanese eunuch. We do, in fact, know quite a bit about him, and we can deduce quite a bit more. Uh, he's a government official, as I said, from Meroe in northern Sudan. He was very likely a financial official of the Queen Mother. He was very probably what was called in those days a God-fearer. He wasn't Jewish, but he'd been deeply affected by Jewish people that he'd met and was in some way a seeker after and a worshipper of the God of Israel. How had he discovered that? Well, very probably through Jewish merchants um, who were living in Meroe at that time. We know that up the Nile Valley, as far as Meroe, uh, Jewish merchants were established. So that's how he probably heard about the God of Israel. And something stirred him up to set off on a long journey to Jerusalem to learn more. And it would have taken him two or three months, a journey down the Nile Valley, quite a risky journey. He might not have come through that safely, uh, and on to Jerusalem, to the temple. And we can suppose, it seems highly, just entirely in step with the story here, that that had been a disappointing experience. As uh, a eunuch, and in that way physically not complete, he would have been excluded from uh, the, most of the areas of the temple, and as a Gentile, anyway, he would have been excluded so he had come all the way to Jerusalem in the search for the God of Israel, and he had been disappointed, we might reasonably suppose. He's on his way back home, disappointed, empty-handed, not having received what he came for, but he's still searching, and he's reading uh, the, the Jewish scriptures. All that we can reasonably construct from the story and from the little bit of archaeology that I, I shared with you. Philip doesn't know that. I think there is something, I, in, in, in a sense, I, this is perhaps the most important thing I want to share with you uh, this morning, is that likewise, mostly, we do not know the story of people around us, the people we work with, the people who are our, our casual friends uh, in the world, and of each other even in church. Mostly, we do not know each other's story. And that story is hugely important because it is in that story that the gospel needs to be heard. It's in that story that the gospel is going to have some impact. It is not um, like a, uh, a chemical medicine that comes in from outside and just 
uh, acts objectively on our bodies. The gospel is something that interacts with each person's story and life journey. And in sharing the gospel, we are in some way opening a door to that encounter. Just a couple of days ago, I came across this quotation from an American devotional writer. The point is, and she was talking about just this issue, actually, the point is to see the person standing right in front of me who has no substitute, who can never be replaced, whose heart holds things for which there can be no language, whose life is an unsolved mystery. The moment I turn that person into a character in my own story, the encounter is over. I have stopped being a human being and have become a fiction writer instead. And I think that's quite searching. I think that's quite profound because I think we do that all the time. And I think it is a danger when we feel a challenge to be involved in evangelism, shall we say, in that it becomes our story It becomes something that we feel a a need to be involved in. It becomes part of our narrative and is not about that, about someone else's story, a story which inevitably we know little about. The point is to see the person standing right in front of me who has no substitute in the world. They're unique. They can never be replaced, whose heart holds things for which there can be no language, whose life is an unsolved mystery. Okay, so the first thing I want to suggest to you is I I think we need to be realistic and sensitive and alert and aware. I have often thought about, actually, how I am aware of my own thoughts moment by moment, my own journey, my own agendas, whatever life is about for me at the moment, my own emotions... And yet someone I know really well out there, I know virtually nothing about in those terms. Now, some people are far more intuitive than I am, far more empathetic, far more able to put themselves in other people's shoes. We, we differ a lot in that kind of way. But the Sudanese man had a story, and everyone we meet has a story. Secondly, and this is really crucial also, God has a story in each person. Philip does not know the Sudanese story, neither does he know God's story to this point. And usually we don't either. Sometimes God reveals things to his people, sometimes he gives us windows and insights into people, pictures and truths, but usually we don't really know. But God has a story in people's lives. In this case, we can suppose that it was through his encounter with Jewish merchants in Meroe that he'd been stirred up to seek God and he'd been stirred up further to undergo this very lengthy and dangerous pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem seeking God. And he was on his way home and he was still seeking. He was still being stirred up by the living God. He was keeping reading the Jewish scriptures. Philip doesn't know that either. And neither do we, usually. We don't know people's story, and we don't know God's story with them either. 
but around us in all kinds of places people have their story with God and we don't know it but we need to know it is there we need to be aware and alert to its existence and finally in this Philip has a story and this is the really interesting bit I think How do we get drawn into what I've been trying to describe there? How how do we play our part? How do we connect with it? We're not the initiators, let's be clear on that. We often, I think, feel intimidated by uh, evangelism and evangelistic possibilities, by the sense of responsibility that we need to initiate things, we need to be doing things. If we listen to this story, it's not about that. God is already at work, and this man already has his story. We are not throwing our efforts at sharing the gospel uh, into sterile ground. If it turns out to be that, Jesus encourages us to move on. But when we speak, we are speaking to people who have a life story and who have a story with God. They may not be aware of that, they may not call it that, but they have a journey in which God is interested Let's notice just a few, thing about, a few things about uh, Philip's story because I think we, these are the things we need to learn. He is awake and alert to what God may be prompting him to do. A lot of this story, and I think a lot of what we, we... I speak for myself, what I need to learn about being available to God for sharing my faith and sharing the gospel is about alertness and awareness. A lot of it is about that, because most of the time I'm going around preoccupied with my own agenda on my own journey, um, uh, oblivious to those who are around me. Philip is awake and alert to what God may be prompting him to do, and he is stirred up by God to, to leave where he is and to head south to what's known as the desert road, the road down to Egypt. Even though it doesn't seem like a fruitful line of action, he's leaving the place of activity, he's leaving the place place of fruitfulness, and he's heading to a, a desert, lonely road. It was the main road to Egypt, but not many people were on it at any given time. And he doesn't miss this moment. This story, is a lot of it is about alertness and awareness. He could have missed that sense of call. He could have turned away from the grounds that it was a waste of his time. He allows himself to be stirred and led by God to a surprising place and a place that seems likely to be fruitless. He doesn't miss the moment when it comes. He could have said, why on earth am I here? I'm wasting my time sitting on a stone out here in the desert. Uh, on the road to Egypt why am I here and the only person who came by all day was that foreigner who was engrossed in his book that's the only person who came by I've been wasting my time but he was alert throughout and I for myself I I feel there is something in that to to really hold on to it seems as simple as just a a response of our, our own minds and hearts to seek as a matter of our decision and will to be alert and aware more to the people who are around us, people who have their story and people who have a part in God's story. 
So instead of being unaware, unthoughtful, unresponsive, he overcomes his inhibitions and is able to seize the moment. Here's the phrase I like. He comes alongside the man. He doesn't know what he's going to do in coming alongside this man. He has to run to catch up. He doesn't know whether he'll be welcomed. He doesn't know whether he'll be received. He doesn't know anything at all. He is, just knows that this is the moment he's there for. And he comes alongside. Now, I think that phrase is one we can take with us about coming alongside. If we are alert and aware, if we have a, a better sense that people are living their own stories, complex, demanding stories, we may have a willingness to come alongside, to be with. And we have no idea where that will lead. We have no idea what will flow from that. We just need to come alongside. And then he realizes what's happening. He's actually in a remarkable moment. This strange foreigner from way up in northern Sudan is reading the Jewish scriptures. More than that, he's reading a very potent part of the, of the, of the Christian scriptures. And so he asks the, a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? Does it make sense to you? Do you need help to unpack this a bit? And so he's invited up into the chariot, and one thing leads to another. And he discovers that God has been on this man's case for a long time. There was no way he could know that. But that is the magic of this moment, that in coming alongside entirely empty-handed, coming alongside just being willing to see what, what might follow, he discovers that God is on this man's case. And he's reading a remarkable part of Scripture. He's reading the part of Scripture which we believe was very important to our Lord and was very important to the early church as being an Old Testament uh, uh, prophecy about the, the death, the sacrificial death of Jesus. He's interestingly reading a part of that that's not about that, but is actually uh, about the fact that the Messiah would lay down his life and would have no descendants and there's something rather ironic and haunting about that uh, as, as a eunuch and a man who had no family. And Philip is there. He is God's man in that moment. And he's not afraid to take the man further. He doesn't simply say, well, that's very interesting. I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, he's willing to just take it further. He's willing to unpack it to help the man on his journey. And we read that the conclusion of that is that the man was baptized. We have no record of what happened when he went back to uh, northern Sudan. Uh, we have no record of a church in northern Sudan that early. Um, the church grew up there a couple of centuries later. But nonetheless, um, that was the first Sudanese believer. I find this helpful, and I, I've been reflecting on this sort of the three stories that are present here in this narrative, I, I find that quite helpful in a personal way. What we need to do is get out of our own heads much more, get out of our own fears and doubts, and recognize that the people we meet every day are living out their own stories and journeys and searchings about which we know nothing or very little, 
and that amongst them there are the people whom God has begun to stir up. Out there surrounding us every day, there are the stories of every human being we meet and there is the story of God's encounter with certain ones, certain people amongst them. And we must not turn all this into our agenda, our story, something that meets our need to fulfill certain agendas or targets. Our job is to be alert, awake, switched on, not switched off, just ready for the possibility that out there in the desert, on the desert road, perhaps with a very unlikely person, a stranger, a foreigner, my story needs to take a new direction connecting with another person's story and finding that God connects us, that he's in it. I find this has refreshed and given me new energy and challenged me about my self-preoccupation for much of the life I, I lead and opened up for me the possibilities, perhaps, of being available to God in new ways.